week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while, you were still, while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He's risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Hey, I just want to take a quick moment. Today is all about acknowledging that Christ has risen, that death does not have the final say, and that disease and illness and death will be conquered for all time. And this is something as Christians we are to have great hope and anticipation in. So I want to acknowledge Hope, who would love to have Peter here. I'd like to acknowledge Ray, who would love to have Joan here. Eric up the back, who I'm sure would love to have Phyllis here. Bev, who I know, of course, would love to have George here. And dear Graham, who I know, I'm sure, would love to have Joy here. My brothers and sisters in Christ, death and disease does not and will not have the final say. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. What a wonderful day today is. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the absolute foundation for the Christian faith. It underpins and determines everything that Christianity is based upon. The Apostle Paul declared that if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we can have great hope and confidence in the trustworthiness of the resurrection of Jesus. This is not just a nice story, but a historical event that is grounded in history and is based on irrefutable proofs. There are several evidences that help us reach this conclusion. First, Christ predicted his resurrection. After Peter confessed Jesus as Messiah, he began explaining to his followers that the Son of Man must suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Even though his followers at this point in time did not understand what he was telling them, they remembered his words and recorded them. Second, Jesus made numerous post resurrection appearances. Uh, in John's gospel, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, who was mourning over his death. 
Jesus comforts her and demonstrates to her outside the empty tomb that he is alive. In Luke's Gospel, a little further on from our reading this morning, Jesus travels on the road to Emmaus with some of his disciples, his followers, and he explains things to them about himself from the Old Testament. Later, he eats in the presence of his disciples. And just to prove that he is, in fact, real uh, and not a ghost, he invites them to touch the wounds in his hands and feet, and he takes a piece of fish and eats it. Three, uh, sorry, Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that Jesus was seen by more than 500 at one time. Now, this is significant. Uh, Okay, sure, a small group of people may have been able to conjure up the fact that Jesus had risen, but very hard to make up such a story from 500 people. Third, the unrelenting faith of the disciples is seen as convincing evidence for the resurrection. The disciples who were once so afraid that they deserted their Lord ended up becoming incredible risk takers for the gospel. Many of them lost their lives and uh, their bold and courageous behavior does not make sense unless they had absolute certainty about the resurrection of Jesus. Fourth, the growth of the early church confirms the resurrection. Peter's first sermon in Acts 2, which dealt with Christ's resurrection, stirred people to receive him as their living saviour. Luke records this thrilling result. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 300 were added to their number that day. This initial group of believers multiplied to the point where Christianity spread across the entire globe. As of 2010, Christianity was the world's largest religion with more than 2.2 billion followers. And my friends, this is because we serve a risen Lord and Saviour. He is not dead, He is alive. Finally, the personal testimony of countless lives that have been transformed shows the undeniable power of the resurrection. Many have been delivered from addictions and destructive behaviours. The destitute, vulnerable and despairing have found hope and peace. Broken relationships have been restored. Racial division has been healed It is hard to argue with the personal testimony of somebody's life. And Christians for centuries now have been seeking to live out the resurrection by bringing healing, by bringing hope, by bringing peace and by bringing justice. All of these things are foretastes of the coming kingdom, a kingdom where love rules a kingdom where there is no hate, a kingdom where there is no injustice, a kingdom where there is only grace and love. This is the kingdom that we as Christians are seeking to bring into our world. And all of this is because of the resurrection. We are seeking to model that which Jesus himself perfectly modelled on Easter Sunday, that death does not have the final word. The resurrection sets Christianity apart. No other religious leader has conquered the power of sin and death. As Christians, as believers, we should be filled with hope and filled with confidence 
in the power and the reality of the resurrection. Let's explore the details of Luke 24, 1 to 12. The women went to the tomb with very clear expectations. They were prepared to embalm the corpse of Jesus' dead body. Uh, They expected to find a sealed tomb and uh, Jesus' linen-wrapped body lying there, which had been laid to rest two days earlier. Just a chapter earlier in Luke's Gospel 23, in 55 to 56, we read that the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body had been laid in it. They then went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. These women had witnessed Jesus die on the cross and seen his dead body laid in a tomb. It's not as if they went to the tomb in some kind of confident hope that maybe Christ would not be there, that he would in fact be risen. No, they went there expecting to find Jesus dead. And the fact that they prepared spices and balms and perfumes highlights this very fact. We all know what it's like to encounter unexpected circumstances. Can you imagine how unexpected and surprising it was for these women with their spices to discover that the stone had been rolled away and that the tomb was indeed empty? Consider how close, uh, consider how closely linked darkness and death are. A sealed tomb is a place of complete darkness. In a sealed tomb, the light of life has been defeated by the darkness of death. In John 9, 5, Jesus had claimed that he was the light of the world. And by rising from death, Jesus proved that he had overcome darkness, that the life of God is stronger than the darkness of death. It is fascinating how in all four gospel accounts, it is the women who rise to prominence, unexpected prominence. Uh, The resurrection story is full of unexpected occurrences. And for women to be key witnesses in a resurrection story uh, to Jesus actually offers the story greater credibility. Because in this day, in this culture, the witness of a woman was unfounded. And we can see that by the reaction of the disciples. They didn't believe the women. They didn't accept their testimony. And uh, no one else would have either. One commentator writes about this. And in doing so, he writes, The resurrection was not created by the church. Rather, the church was created by the resurrection. In the midst of their confusion and, and, and uncertainty, two angelic messengers appear to reassure the women to remind them of Jesus' words that had been spoken. So not only was the empty tomb uh, a shock, but also the words that these two angelic messengers spoke. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hand of sinners, be crucified and raised on the third day. Now, it's only then that the women remember 
these words. They hadn't recalled or remembered those words during those ghastly hours where Jesus was, in fact, dead in a tomb. They didn't recall those words then. But the angelic messengers brought those words to mind and the women remembered them. How quickly the women and the disciples had forgotten these often spoken words of Jesus. We see in all four Gospels at the moment Peter declares Jesus as the Son of the living God, the Messiah, Jesus begins predicting his death. Luke records it six times. And I'm assuming that Jesus probably mentioned it more than just six. We have six at least uh, recordings. But this wasn't a one-off statement. Jesus was preparing as best he could his disciples, including the women, for the fact that these events were going to transpire. The night before, around the Passover table, Jesus explained to them what was going to happen. But obviously for the disciples, they either thought these words were obscure or perhaps it was just in the too hard basket for them. But it wasn't until the angelic messengers brought Jesus' words to mind that the women remembered, yes, Jesus did say this. Now, what is important about this? And I think what the angels were really saying to the women is you need to trust Jesus because what he says, he does. What Jesus says, he does. For the women and the disciples, this meant that Jesus' promise of rising from death after three days would indeed come true. Now, God coming good on his word, God keeping his word, is a strong reoccurring theme that runs right throughout the Gospel of Luke. We haven't been studying Luke this term, we've been looking at the life of Peter. But if we were to study Luke, we would see that right from the very beginning, we have an angelic promise to Elizabeth and to Mary that they will conceive supernaturally, in Mary's case, uh, and give birth to a son. And both of those sons had incredible prominence in the rise of Christianity with John the Baptist and then, of course, Jesus. And we see within the early chapters of Luke that the promise, the Word of God, is, it comes good, right? Those two babies are born. Now, it's as if throughout Luke's entire gospel there is this rhythmic heartbeat. God says, God does what He will do. God does what he says. It just keeps happening and happening. And we see through Luke's gospel, time after time, prophecy and fulfillment. And here it is. Jesus himself prophesied that he would die and rise in three days. And this is exactly what was happening. Now for us, Easter, yes, is a historic event, something that happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, But we should not be so much looking to the past as we ought to be looking to the future. Because if it is true that what Jesus says, he does, and if we believe in the resurrection, then we must believe that the words in Scripture that speak about the second coming, the second advent, the day of judgment, the day of of great celebration for those who are in Christ, that Jesus will come again, we need to be looking to the future. We need to be looking to that day with hope and anticipation, but also we need to be looking to that day uh, in fear and trembling for all those we know who will not call upon the name of the Lord and then who will not be saved. 
the events of the resurrection so clearly and so powerfully illustrate that what Jesus says he will do, he does. May we not be forgetful like the women and the disciples and so easily forget all of the forewarnings and all of the assurances that are given to us in Scripture about the second coming of Christ. When the women returned from the tomb and explained to the other disciples all that they had seen, the men did not believe the women. The text suggests that the disciples completely disregarded this good news that these women had. Even though the disciples had witnessed Jesus perform many miracles, they had even witnessed him perform the raising of a dead man with Lazarus. Uh, The idea of God raising Jesus from death was clearly uh, too hard. It was sort of in the too hard basket for them and uh, they didn't really give it any consideration initially. I find this scene most interesting. The women at this point have good news to share. They have great news to share. The best news that the disciples could ever hear. Jesus was indeed alive. He had risen. But these disciples, these holy men, these followers of God, discount this talk as nonsense. And I think this is very telling. Christians, we have the best news to share. We have good news. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ to share. It is the most amazing message. It is the most powerful, life-changing message that our world needs to hear. And yet, often, we are too fearful to share this message because we think that people will uh, accuse us of speaking nonsense. (laughs) And how telling this story is. The disciples themselves at first thought this story was nonsensical. So, of course, we should almost anticipate that anyone who hears about a dead man rising from death uh, and, and, and offering forgiveness of sins and eternal life as, as, as just sheer nonsense, we almost ought to anticipate that. But we need to be patient and trust that God in His goodness and by the power of His Holy Spirit will illuminate his truth into, to men and women, into boys' and girls' hearts. And just like the women, our role, for those of us who have heard, who have received, who have witnessed this good news, is to simply be faithful witnesses to what we know and what we've experienced. And trust that the Holy Spirit will do His work of turning hearts and lives to Him. This section concludes in verse 12 with Peter's response. In verse 12 we read, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering uh, what had happened. Unlike the other disciples who wrote the women off, Peter has to find out for himself what all the fuss is about. And with characteristic eagerness, Peter gets up and runs to the tomb. I love the eagerness of Peter. He doesn't walk, he runs. And Peter is not content to rely on second or third hand information. He wants to see with his own two eyes. He arrives at the tomb and what does he find? He finds an almost 
empty tomb because the scriptures indicate that there were linen cloths lying there. Now, John goes into a little bit more detail about the placement of the linen cloths, but it is as if the body of Jesus uh, has, has, has been removed, has risen, and the linen cloths uh, were like a balloon. They've just collapsed. And the napkin that was on Jesus' face, according to John, has kind of been placed neatly. And again, this adds credibility to the story of the resurrection. Uh, one of the ways that people tried to debunk this was that the body of Jesus was stolen. But the question is, you know, is begged to ask, why would uh, thieves remove the linen cloths of someone they were trying to steal? It's ridiculous. So again, and even the way that the clothes, the linen cloth is left speaks of something quite mysterious and, uh, and miraculous occurring. By now, Peter knows that what Jesus uh, says comes to pass. I think more than any other disciple other than Judas, who of course by this stage has hanged himself, but by this stage, uh, Peter knows more than any other disciple that what Jesus says comes to pass. I mean, only last night, Jesus had predicted to Peter, you will deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And Peter uh, tried to convince Jesus that, no, Lord, I won't. And you all know what happened. And so in this moment, I'm sure, as Peter is trying to process everything that has happened in the last 24 hours, there must be a sense of, he said this was going to happen, and indeed it has. And we uh, see that later on in Luke's Gospel, Jesus appeared uh, individually to Simon, to Peter, to confirm with him that he had indeed risen. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, then it changes everything. C.S. Lewis is well known for speaking about the resurrection, and he writes this, Christianity is a statement which, if, which, if false, is of no importance, and, if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. My brothers and sisters, I pray that the, the resurrection of Jesus would not be moderately important to you, but it would be infinitely important to you. At the very east, at the very least, you owe it to yourself, just like the Apostle Peter, to peer into the empty tomb, as it were, and examine the evidence. Let me invite you and encourage you to read. If you're not convinced, study, question, explore. See for yourself if the truth of the resurrection stands, Jesus is not dead. He is living today. The resurrection of Jesus speaks to our deepest human yearnings. It is about bringing back that which is dead to life. It is about bringing hope into the midst of hopelessness, peace into the midst of conflict, and joy into the midst of despair. These are things that the human soul yearn for joy, peace, freedom, justice, life, healing. The resurrection speaks into all of these things. And for those of us who have been transformed by the good news of the resurrection, our task, our project, if you like, 
is to offer foretastes of this glorious kingdom, a kingdom of justice, a kingdom of love, a kingdom of beauty, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of wholeness, a kingdom of healing. For those of us who believe in the resurrection, this is our great work, bringing the resurrection to bear in everyday life, in everyday conversations. We speak love, we speak life, we speak hope. We use our hands to bring about whatever change we can that gives people a foretaste or a vision of this coming new heaven and new earth where there is no more suffering, where there is no more inequality, where love and grace and justice rule supreme. For those of us who have not yet experienced and accepted the truth and the joy of the resurrection, can I implore you that your task, your project, if you will, is to follow in the footsteps of Peter and to peer into that tomb for yourself. As C.S. Lewis says, this is far too important for it to just be something that is moderate. Give it your all and explore the evidence that surrounds the resurrection. Let me close with these wonderful words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer has a hold on us. In the face of death, we can say, He has risen. Amen.